Hey, this is Brian with the Mid-City Vineyard Podcast. If you want to learn a little bit more about Mid-City Vineyard, you can check us out online, midcityvineyard.org. Check us out on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard. Also on Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard. For the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series entitled The Sermon on the Mount, as we've been working through Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, or the Blesseds, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, among other things. This particular week on the podcast, we are in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Thanks for checking it out. Hope you enjoy. Much peace to you. Tonight we're going to keep going in our series on the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And we are on the, one, two, three, the fifth Beatitude this evening. Uh, and before we jump into the actual beatitude, I, I just I want to remind you guys that one of our foundational uh, scriptures here at Mid City is uh, Colossians chapter one verse twenty eight. And, and Paul in, in Colossians he says uh, to the church in, in Colossae, and I've got it up on the screen here. He says, "We preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message." He says, we teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To, me, to be mature is to be basic. It's Christ. No more and no less. And, and this, for, for me, is, as we were uh, really moving towards planting this church and um, in my own, in my own uh, uh, connection with Christ, over the years, this, this has become one of those verses where to me, I, I find that it is of the utmost importance that we not just be the kind of Christians that, that you know, show up at church on Saturday nights and, and maybe do a Bible study along the way and, and yet all, all along just allow ourselves to, to stay where we are. I, I think that what Paul is saying here is, look, there's, there's a lot that's going on here. Like Christ has offered to us this invitation to come in uh, to this amazing, beautiful Life, and and in order to, to come into this, we must be filled with the Spirit of God. But we, it's going to take it's going to take work. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take energy. It, it's going to take maturing. And, and in order to mature a person, what what does it mean to mature? It means to actually grow up. Uh, I'll never forget uh, the first time I ever sat with a counselor, which uh, was just it was just a couple of years ago. But there were some things in my life that I just could not seem to get past. And so I go to see this counselor, and the very first thing, and I might have told you this story before because it's so, uh, it has so shaped me, but as we're sitting at the very end of our first counseling session, my counselor says, well, I, I, think, I, I, I think I see part of the problem. And I said, please, please uh, tell me, what is it? And he says, well, Brian, uh, you need to grow up. <laughs> and I thought, man, I don't think I'll ever uh, give this guy another dime. And, uh, and you know, uh, after seeing that counselor for about a year and a half, because I did go back, uh, it is the session that shaped me more than any other. 
And I think that's what Paul says here. He says, listen, at some point we, we need to grow up and we need to continue to press into Christ. And I want you to be transformed into Christ-likeness. And that's my heart for you. That is my heart for me. I believe that's Paul's heart for the church in Colossae. And I start that way tonight because I think that as uh, really, I think from this point on in the Sermon on the Mount, this is where it gets difficult. I, I think it's really neat that Jesus says, hey, blessed are the brokenhearted because you'll be comforted. And we say, oh, I'm brokenhearted. That's so nice of Jesus. This is wonderful. Or, hey, blessed are those uh, who are poor because the kingdom is yours. Or blessed are those who are not assertive. And we say, oh, yay. I think it really gets tough this week. And I don't know if it gets much easier for, for quite some time. Just hearing the truths that Jesus preaches. So tonight, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. Now, I don't particularly like that version of it. Uh, that's the New International Version. And so I went and I did what any good uh, uh, teacher does. I found a version that I liked. <laughs> uh, actually, it was difficult to find a version that I liked. The, the New American Standard says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The King James says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The Message Bible says, you are blessed when you care. And at the moment of being full of care or careful, you find yourself cared for. And in all of them, to be honest with you, I thought, this seems weird. This particular teaching, if you just take this verse at, at face value as it is, it feels a little bit like karma, does it not? I mean, it seems like Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful, for if and when you show mercy, then you will be shown mercy. It feels a little bit like quid quo pro. You do this and then you get that, or a bit of tit for tat. And yet, all along, as we've been looking through uh, these beatitudes and honestly every week when we talk about Jesus and when we look into the scripture our understanding is that Jesus is actually undoing the system of tit for tat we, we have been understanding that Jesus is saying there is a different way than if this then that there, these formulas Jesus seems to be kicking up against them and so if we're going to really understand this, and we have to kind of dive back into it, we want to look at a little bit of context. Let's reach back, and, and then we're reminded when we look at the Beatitudes that Jesus is not giving us a new set of rules. Jesus is not giving us a new set of laws or a new set of commandments. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is overturning the old quid quo pro tit for tat system. Because here's the thing, and this is, this is where maturity comes in and being willing to grow up there's no room in God's reality for tit for tat in God's kingdom in God's reality in God's way of doing things tit for tat is no longer the mode of operation that we're invited to live by 
See, because Jesus is actually declaring all through the Gospels. He's declaring, and remember, before he even talked about the Beatitudes, he said, repent, for the kingdom is where? Here. He said that repent, the kingdom is here. Repent means turn around. Like you've been moving in this tit-for-tat kind of system. You've been going this way. Where if they do that to me, then I'll do this to them. And if it goes this way, then I'll do that. You've been living according to that system. Jesus says, repent, turn away from that. We're not operating that way anymore. For the kingdom is here. There's a new reality. There's a new way of living. And in this new reality, you, Ryan, and you, Mary, and you, Elisa, and you, Angie, you can be filled with the Spirit of God, and you can grow up. You can mature. You can be transformed. And always remember this. When you come on Saturday night and we study the scripture, or when you show up at, 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 at John's on Tuesday night and, and you talk with some fellows and you pray for each other and you, maybe you learn something new and when you, you hang out uh, at the brunch and when you do all these kinds of things and, and you're interacting with people and the Spirit is there and there's things that, these things are taking place, the idea is not just that we would get smarter. When you read your script, the scriptures, I hope that if, if and when you're reading the scriptures, it's not just so that I can know more scripture. It's not just so that I can know more about what it means to be a Christian. It's actually so that something begins to take place. And the greatest test, one author said it this way, said the greatest test of obedience to Jesus' teachings is not whether that obedience makes you morally tougher but whether or not it makes you mercifully softer. I have met some very morally tough Christians. Have you? And they certainly, many of them, lack on the mercy scale. And I can say that with confidence because I was one. A very morally tough Christian who lacked on the mercy scale. The problem with that is that Jesus himself said, listen, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then he tells the Pharisees, go figure out what this means. I mean, could you just imagine Jesus standing there with you and saying, hey, this is what I want. Now go figure it out. And just being like, oh, crap. Like, go figure, what do you mean go figure it out? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go figure it out. So let's take a minute to figure it out. And, and so, Lord, I would just say right now that in this space and in this place, God, as we, as we move in line with your spirit, Lord, would you open our hearts to maybe, maybe for some of us this is something completely new, um, or maybe for some of us it's not new at all, but maybe there's places where we personally find ourselves even hung up. And so, Spirit of God, we give you permission right now to... Enlarge our imagination for who you are calling us to be. Enlarge our imagination for what it looks like to walk in this reality of your kingdom. Lord, open our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts, our souls to, to your word. In this place and in this space. Right now, Lord. Amen. So let me ask you this. Have you ever, have you ever been transformed? Have you ever changed in a particular way? You can answer this. Yes? Okay. Okay, how about, how about this one? This, this, is, this is where it gets even more fun. Have you ever passed judgment 
on someone for something only to realize years later in your own life when you went through something very similar, you came to realize that you passed the wrong judgment. <laughs> Is that not the worst? And then you realize, I think I need to go apologize. And when, if, if and when you do go and apologize, it looks something like this. Hey, do you remember that time seven years ago? Or, if we're a slow learner, 27 years ago, when I said this to you because of the way you were doing X, Y, or Z, I just want to say to you that I went through something similar to that recently, and I must apologize. Because I was wrong. I passed judgment on you in that. And the truth is, I didn't know what I was talking about. Now, when we do that, if you make it to that place of apologizing, uh, you're certainly hoping that they will extend mercy. Are you not? <laughs> I mean, they don't have to. You're, you're a, a, a total uh, jerk. You were out of line. I don't want to speak for you. I was a total jerk. I was completely out of line. I did not know what I was talking about. I was talking out of the wrong end. And yet, when I come to, and I actually decide that I'm going to apologize for this, I'm, I'm hoping for mercy. That's really what I'm hoping for. Now, this has actually happened to me on more than one occasion. Uh, it's happened so many times that I ha could not decide which story to share with you. Um, it's literally happened that many times. It turns out that when I was in my 20s, I, d I didn't realize it at the time, but when I was in my 20s, I actually knew everything. Um, <laughs> and that's where I got myself in most of my trouble. But this one, uh, for me, this, this one's a little different. I, I remember, you know, because I've, I've been, for whatever reason, I've been pastoring for 18 years. Somebody decided at some point that asking a 22-year-old to serve in a pastoral role uh, was a good idea. And they must have seen more than I can now look back and see, but I, I was not merciful. I was harsh. Uh, I was <laughs> I was morally tough. But one of the things that I realized is that I used to have a real issue with people who were chronically sad. Uh, people who seemed to be depressed. People who seemed to not be able to get themselves fixed. And I literally used to pass devastating judgments on people who found themselves in these places. I, I, I remember conversations before of telling people, okay, it's time to choose happy. You know, because this being sad all the time, you're really wearing us out. You're wearing me out. And you're wearing everybody out. And we, people don't really want to hang with you that much. I know you can't believe I would say something like that. Or maybe you can, but I did. Multiple times. Time to pick yourself up. And that was all good and true until in my mid-late 30s, I went through my own time of devastating depression. Like real depression. Not I woke up one day and I was sad for the day, but real devastating. You can't get out of bed. You can't fake happy. You can't take a shower. You, you can't uh, pretend to be or do anything. Uh, the most you can hope for is uh, 
is that someone is nice to you that day if you have to go to work, if you make it to work. And all of a sudden I realized, wow, uh, <laughs> those people, they were stuck. They were very much stuck, like Chuck, kind of like I'm stuck right now. And I couldn't do it. And you know what it ended up taking? It ended up taking a couple of people to be really, really, really merciful to me. It ended up taking a couple of people to really extend themselves to me. It took a couple of people who would actually say, no, you're not wearing me out. You can be like this for as long as you're like this, and I'll just stand right here. It took the Spirit of God walking through it with me. Uh, it took a counselor. It took medication. It took lots of things. It took my spiritual director one day asking me. Uh, somehow I showed up. I don't, I, I don't even remember how I did this, but I showed up at a, a meeting with my spiritual director. The reason I showed up is because we did it over Skype, so I didn't have to get out of bed. <laughs> That's how I showed up. And I'm laying in bed, and my spiritual director he, he, he doesn't even know where to go with this. And he finally just says, he says, let me ask you this. He says, it seems to me that God is not lifting this off of you. So in the middle of it, how is this affecting how, how you pastor people? And I said, well, I'm not pastoring anybody. I'm not even getting out of bed. I said, but one thing I know for sure is that I will be much nicer to people from this point on. And, and he said, oh, I'm kind of, maybe this is good that this is happening to you. And I thought that was the meanest thing ever. Um, <laughs> But you know what? Here's the, here's the bottom line. Maybe you've had an experience like this, but that experience made me a more merciful person. It just made me a more merciful person. It, it is, it's nearly impossible for me now to, to sit with someone who is going through that and not immediately go back to how I was in that, those, that time and have compassion and have mercy and be full of care. So let's go back to Jesus' words for a minute. How does this tie in? Jesus doesn't play tit for tat. He doesn't play quid quo pro. He doesn't really, and I do not believe that Jesus is saying, hey, look, if you show mercy, then I will show mercy to you. See, because that goes directly against the very definition of mercy. <laughs> mercy is undeserved. You can't earn mercy. You can't work for mercy. So either Jesus is very confused, which I've thought of that of Jesus at times. He seems confused sometimes, but I don't think he actually is on this one. Because when he says, blessed are you, what is he saying? He's saying God's favor is on those who are choosing mercy. God's favor is on you when you choose mercy. Now listen, you live in a world that says mercy is for the weak. You live in a world that says, do not look out for anyone but yourself because no one else is going to look out for you. That's the world you and I live in. Outside of these walls, you go to work. And if you don't work in a, you know, a, a um, uh, I, I'm, the word's escaping me, but if you work in a normal work environment where people are climbing the ladder trying to get to the top mercy is for the weak and you don't extend it you look out for yourself and the world scoffs at mercy the world scoffs at it and yet 
Jesus says, though the world scoffs, when you are merciful, I want you to know that it is in that time of being merciful that you yourself will experience on the inside, in your soul, in your spirit, you will experience mercy. Does that mean that when I extend mercy, now I should expect, because the Beatitude says, if I extend mercy, does that mean that people will now show me mercy? No, do not fall into that trap. <laughs> people extend mercy all the time. People like, I don't know, like I say, maybe Jesus. And where did that get him? It got him killed. So let us not fall into the trap of just thinking, oh, well, quick pro pro. No. But Jesus says, the favor of God is upon you when you are extending mercy. And it is in those moments that you yourself will experience something that you cannot explain, that you cannot express. There's this incredible deepness to, to the connection between mercy and forgiveness. There's this incredible connection because both are free, both are unearned, both are undeserved, both are not owed. And we experience these things through Jesus. And here's the thing, don't ever forget this, but when we see Jesus, what we have actually seen is we have seen the divine. We have seen God. Now, kiddos, Landon, Logan, Jonah, Nate, tap in right here. Reese, are you in here? Reese. Because if you don't remember anything else, which you guys might not, this might go for all of us in the room, but you guys especially, listen to me. When you look at Jesus, what you are seeing is an absolute picture of the divine. You are seeing who God is. Is. So if you ever have questions, I wonder what God is like. I wonder if God would say this kind of thing or do this kind of thing. What we must do is look over to Jesus. And the way we look to Jesus, the best that we have is we can look in the scripture and we interact with the Holy Spirit that lives within us. You see, because here's the thing. God or Jesus looks exactly like God. God looks like Jesus. God has always looked like Jesus. This is of the utmost importance, too, for all of us. Even when you go back into the Old Testament, don't ever forget this. God has always looked like Jesus. We just didn't know it. But see, we know it now because we have seen Jesus. So what is this God who we talk about? This God who offers mercy unconditionally, who offers forgiveness unconditionally. What is this God like? This God is like Jesus. And Jesus did not play the tit-for-tat game. Do you kids understand what I say when, I'm, when I say tit-for-tat? Do you guys understand that? Tit-for-tat? It's like the time that uh, my neighbor cut down his tree and his branches fell in my backyard and he didn't want to pick them up. And so I picked them up and threw them back over the fence so that he would have to pick them up. That's tit-for-tat. Okay, that's the kind of thing. It's like, no, you don't get the last word. I get the last word. And so that's tit for tat. And Jesus is like, we don't play that game anymore. That game is, that's no good. Mercy is not just something that God does either. Mercy is who God is. This is who God is. And in this new life that we've been invited into, mercy is who Jesus is saying. Why don't you guys come in? And not only do this, but be this. Be this with me. Be this. Well, I'm not a very merciful person. Okay, so neither am I. So what must happen? We experience mercy. And then we experience it again. We experience it from God over and over and over again. 
we understand. I, I have done nothing to get this. No, you, you haven't, and neither have I. And, and yet, we begin to be filled more and more with the Spirit, transformed by the Spirit. We begin to walk and ebb and flow and choose mercy. Richard Rohr says, look, we don't attain anything by our own holiness, but it's by 10,000 surrenders to mercy. A lifetime of received forgiveness allows you to become mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they get the kingdom. Why? Because that's who God is. That's mercy. Blessed are the brokenhearted, for they will be comforted. Why? Because that's the kind of God God is. Why? That's mercy. Blessed are the non-aggressive, the ones who are not assertive, the ones who just can't seem to keep up with the do-gooders. They get the whole earth. Why? Because that's the kind of God God is. That's mercy. Blessed are those who hunger for, for justice. They're going to be satisfied. Why? Because that's who God is. That's mercy. when we are bruised and broken and crushed that we receive the kingdom because it's for you and it's for me. And so we encounter God in this place. It's kind of like love. John says, well, we love because God first loved us. We don't love because we took a class. We don't love because we're good at it. We don't love because, oh, it just seems like a good idea. We love because God loved us. It's the same with mercy. We're merciful because we've tapped into understanding what mercy is. We've experienced it. So how might it look? And then we're going to share the communion table together. I would suggest that if God is mercy, then God can never be unmerciful. <laughs> I always encourage you, when we teach, go home, study the scripture. If, if, we, if you feel like I missed it, I welcome that. Send me an email. Let's talk. Let's chat. This is we're a community here. But the best I can see it is in the scripture, if God is mercy, then God is not capable of being unmerciful. God's going to extend mercy. That's who God is. So this isn't tit for tat. What this is, is God saying, listen, I want to invite you into who I am. I want to invite you deeper in to experiencing what this narrow path looks like. Sure, you can take the wide path, but the wide path, anyone can take that. And it leads to, man, the wide path leads to a distorted life. It's destructive. It's painful. The narrow path is the one where we practice things, and they're hard. Don't get me wrong, but we practice forgiveness, and we practice grace and graciousness. We practice beauty. We practice love. We practice mercy, and I want you to come in on that. See, because when you get in on that, what you're doing is you're coming into this divine dance between Father, Son, and Spirit where, where there's mercy being given and received and taken and given and then given and received and taken and received and given. And it's, it's, just, this, it's just this obnoxious circle of merciful giving and taking and beauty. 
And Jesus says, you can get in on this. Rest. God's favor is on those who are merciful, who are taking the time to care and, and then experiencing what it is to be cared for. The world needs more mercy. And I would say, when in doubt, when you're in doubt, go with mercy. Make that your default mode instead of the other thing that we've made our default mode. And then finally, who am I merciful to? <laughs> well, I think that's where it gets even a little harder. Jesus is going to get there because he unpacks these Beatitudes later on in the Sermon on the Mount. I would say start with the people in your house. I'd say start with the people at work. I'd say start with the neighbors on your street. Start with the guy who throws branches in your backyard. Jesus is going to get real heavy. At one point in Luke, he's going to say, don't ever forget that God shows mercy to the wicked. And so when you have enemies, be like God. <laughs> Do you see why Paul says, I want us to become mature. I want us to grow up in this stuff because this isn't easy stuff, but this is good stuff. But the only way we can really start pushing into it is if we understand how we've experienced it from God. 